Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. But when the feast was over, as they were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But because they assumed he was in their group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were overwhelmed. His mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. But he replied, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Yet his parents did not understand the remark he made to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. God, that uh, is just such a beautiful thing to think about. Thank you again for everyone who's here this morning, God, who's made the effort to get up, to come, and to learn. I pray, Lord, because of that, you would honor it and honor our time together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you heard it. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. I love this verse. In fact, let's read it together. Ready, go. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. You know, this is all we know about Jesus as a teenager. This is it right here. One verse. One minute, he's a kid, and he's teaching in the temple. And the next minute, he's a man about to be baptized. Well, as a person who has spent his life training teenagers, working with teenagers, or training young college people to go out and work with teenagers, this has been particularly frustrating. Why is this all we get to know about Jesus' young years? For me, I want more details. I want some specifics. Like, what specific temptations did Jesus deal with? How did he get along with his parents? Did he have a crush on a girl? I mean, these are the things that teenagers today are thinking about. Did Jesus do all that as well? You know, I, I, love, I love that at 12 years old, Jesus gets in trouble for teaching in the temple. Like he's doing Sunday school and he gets reprimanded. That would not have been me at 12. That would not have been my issues. It would have been hitting my sisters, disobeying my parents, not doing my chores. Those would be the things I'd get in trouble for. And a little side note, if my parents had taken off and they were a day away and they found out, oh man, we forgot Fritz back in that town, they'd have just kept going. (laughs) Like, they'll figure it out. They'll get home somehow. But that's all we know about this time in Jesus' life. The point is, Jesus changed. He grew. I know that I have changed from the time I was 12 until I'm now older. You've all changed. We've all changed, haven't we? 
that's the point. We all do change. I, I always find this new year, I, I love the new year. I love the turning of the new year, always have. And I like it because I want to take time, for better or worse, to think about the year before, to reflect on it a little bit, and say, what did I do wrong? What worked well? For the next year, for the coming year, what do I want to change? Where do I want to improve? What needs to happen to make the next year be better than the last year? I do this every year. So that's my goal for our time together today. Then we would just spend a few minutes and talk about growth in the year to come. And we're going to be using this scripture, Luke 2.52, to help us to be able to do this. So the first part of this verse says Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. Now, if you're like me, uh, in fact, this is going to be really important today. So take out your message notes, and this is your first fill-in. Jesus grew intellectually. You're going to need this because you're going to be kind of brainstorming a little bit as we go along today in some different areas. So Jesus grew intellectually. We know studies show that continuing to grow intellectually is vital to help, especially as you age. Recent findings linked intellectual growth to staving off age-related dementia, including something as simple as doing a mental puzzle early in the day, saying, quote, it benefits the mind like exercise benefits the body. It's this strengthening workout. In the case of a mental puzzle, something to get your brain going early in the day, it keeps the mind sharp, it warms it up, and prepares it to face the cognitive rigors that everyone deals with on a daily basis. Another piece of advice I read as I was researching all of this kind of stuff was this, get moving on something you've always wanted to learn. There's a goal. Get moving on something you've always wanted to learn. Here's a quote. Whether it be knitting, baking, or computer programming, there's always something you've wanted to learn but have never found the time because of your daily preoccupation. Well, you don't need to wait for your next vacation just to get started on learning a new skill. Instead, you can learn it little each day by slowly reading a book on it or enrolling in an online course that allows you to work at your own pace. You know, I find this to be so true as I've spent the last four or five years uh, trying to learn Portuguese because I do some work in Brazil. And so I have sat and I've read the books and listened to tapes and in my car had the CDs and little by little, a word every night, a sentence. And I've become somewhat proficient. Now, if I get lost down there, good luck. I'll probably never be found. But I've gotten so much better little by little by investing, investing in this kind of task. But that was the last few years. So So, for example, what am I going to do intellectually in 2017? Well, just starting, come the first of the year, to prepare to take a team of William Jessup University students to South Asia next May. So I am studying now to be able to teach our team the best practices of friendship evangelism. I've also just started studying some Hinduism, the Hindi language, along with the religion of Hinduism, which has one billion followers in the country that I'll be going to. A billion followers. So I need to understand that. And when I begin to teach our team, we need to know our faith. We need to know Christianity, all of it, basics and growth. And we need to compare that with Hinduism. So when we go down there and we're wandering around and we're starting conversations, we know how to handle those conversations. That's a big challenge for me. Aside from this, 
Um, I'm also updating and kind of redesigning the youth ministry program down at the university, which means I need to take a look at every single class that's taught in our youth ministry major to figure out if it's still relevant. Well, think about that. That means I need to be up on the world of teenagers at my age. I have to know something about them and how they work and move and think so that our programs can be relevant to that. Those are a couple of my intellectual growth things for the next year. What's on my book list? If, with all that I've just said, what am I reading to help me along in this? I've started a novel about India, plus lots of articles about culture and religion, things like that. For the youth ministry stuff, I'm right in the middle now of a book, a Barna Research Report. Some of you are probably familiar with Barna and the studies that they do. It's called this, The State of Youth Ministry, How Churches Reach Today's Teens and What Parents Think About It. Fascinating read for someone like me. I'm also reading a book about marriage because even after 36 years, you can never, ever know enough to be in a good relationship. So those are a few things on my book reading list for the year to come. So what about you? What about you? What would you like to do to grow intellectually in the year to come? What books are on your reading list? How about starting a new project or taking a class? You can do one online or come down to the university and sit in on one of mine. You can learn some Swahili. We're going to be praying for our team leaving for Uganda. You can actually start learning some Swahili and jump on to the next Uganda team already with some of the language behind you. If you don't know anything else, just start. We have a wonderful bookstore, the Next Step bookstore. After the service, just go wander around in there. Pull books off shelves. See what interests you. Purchase one. Take something home today that you can begin to read to grow intellectually this year. Here's one more word of encouragement in this area of intellectual growth. It's from Ecclesiastes 8.1. It's a beautiful verse. Listen to this. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. So nice. I just love that. So what I want you to do now is get those pens out, get your message notes, and jot down some ideas on how to grow intellectually to light up your face in the year to come. Now, we don't have a lot of time for this, so just a couple quick thoughts in the lines provided. Is there a book you've been wanting to read? Is there a course you're thinking of taking? Is there a project you want to take on? Scratch those down. I hope some of this will continue throughout the week as you sit and have your coffee or whenever you can. But for now, just a couple quick ideas. Something that popped into your head. Hmm, I'd like to grow in this area in the year to come. I see some pins moving. See, I'm a teacher, so you have to do the things I say. It's what my students do. Secondly, our verse says that Jesus grew in stature. He grew physically. He grew physically. Now, some of that is just simply by from the time he was 12 and growing, he physically grew. But we also have to just think about this idea of our health. You know, many New Year's resolutions include things like losing weight, living a healthier lifestyle, and enjoying life to the fullest. If you Google that, you're going to find these are the top things that people want in the year to come. And yet only 8% of people actually keep to any resolutions each year. So we want to make these resolutions, and then we don't stay to it. So how can we do that? How can we get better at this? Well, last year, I had just one physical thing I wanted to do. There was only one. Start at the beginning of the year, 
And I knew that there was only one thing, just one thing that I wanted to complete in this year. This is it. One thing. I did that. Well, I think I first did that when I was about 10 or 11 years old. I turned 60 on a flight to Brazil. And when I got to Brazil, they had a big old party for me that night. My students were there and all my friends in Brazil. And I knew I had to do that. It's called the front handspring. I'll never do one again. I'm done. I'm retired. (laughs) And that one looks like I wasn't going to make it. (laughs) That was it. But that was last year. One goal for the whole year. So what about this year? What do I have planned for this year? Well, my goals include things like making sure I'm going to the gym to get my body healthy that way. And also, I love to just walk around Lake of the Pines to take my wife and just get away from any book work or studies or grading papers that we're doing. So those are just a couple simple things um, that I want to do physically. I've also been trying to actually watch what I eat uh, over the holidays. Like, I'll have, like, a, a, an apple between the huge meals and the giant desserts. So, you know, it's never bad to think about what you're eating as well. So I've been trying to do that. Well, there's so many obvious benefits of diet and exercise. One of my favorite books really changed the way I think. It came out in 2005. It's a book called Last Child in the Woods by a guy named Richard Louvre. And he coined this phrase, nature deficit disorder. Nature deficit disorder. And what that means, NDD states that human beings, especially children, are spending less time outdoors, resulting in a wide range of behavioral problems. This includes not just obesity, which would be the obvious, but even things like attention deficit disorder and depression. Because we aren't outside... We're not only putting on weight, our minds are going to sleep. We're becoming depressed simply by not being outside. The benefits of exercise extend far beyond our weight management. Research shows that regular physical activity can help reduce your risk for several diseases and health conditions and improve your overall quality of life. Regular physical activity can help protect you from the following health problems. Health disease, I mean heart disease and stroke, high blood pressure, non-insulin dependent diabetes, obesity, back pain, osteoporosis, self-esteem and stress management. Researchers have found that exercise is likely to reduce depression and anxiety and help you to better manage stress. And even disability. Running and aerobic exercise have been shown to postpone the development of disability in older adults. Wow, it makes so much sense that we would take care of the bodies that God has given us. So it seems pretty obvious that health is important in this one. In fact, 1 Timothy 4.8, the very first part of that verse confirms it when it says this. Physical training is good. Physical training is good. Plus, let's face it. I mean, I've been up here about 14 years now. This is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It's absolutely stunning where we live. And so we should be taking advantage of this and be outside, whether it's walking, cycling, paddle boarding, or snow skiing, not all in the same season, but at different parts of the year where we live. So what are your 
plans to grow healthier this year? Do you have any? I'm giving you this opportunity right now to think about that. What are your plans to grow healthier? Do you want to begin to exercise a little bit? How about to eat better? Those are great goals. But here's a couple quick pointers. The first one is start small. Don't bite off more than you can chew. See what I did there? Diet, exercise. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't take on something too big. And the other thing is very simple. Just listen to your body. Listen to your body. Start doing something slow and let your body tell you what should be next or if you should cut back or keep going. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know you already have your goal set. You've already researched it, and you know what you're going to do next year. You want to go to Nepal and take on Mount Everest. I get it. It's, it's uh, what, how, how high is that? It's 29,000 feet. And if you can get in shape, you can beat the ascent record. It's only 16 hours and 45 minutes. You can do this. Maybe not, right? Sometimes my brain gets way ahead of what my body can handle. So let's be realistic about what our goals should be in the area of the physical growth. I have a camping class. Yes, I do. A camping class in the spring. Love it. But I challenge my students to do something called the 30-30 experience. I think it's one of the few uh, things I actually made up. I stole it from the NFL's Play 60 30 30 experience. I challenge my students to get outside. Now, actually, it's, a, a pro, it's an assignment, so it's not just a challenge. They actually have to do this. They have to go outside 30 minutes for 30 days. I give them about 35 to 40 days to complete this, so there's some days they don't make it. But they have to log what they do for 30 minutes a day outside for 30 days. Now, they can sit under a tree and read. They can go for a walk. They can play Frisbee. They can sit and have coffee with a friend outside. But it is amazing the benefits and the results that happen from something as simple as this. In fact, I, I, I pulled off some of the comments my students had. This is from last year's class after they'd completed it, and then they wrote up their, their thing in the end of the assignment. Here's a couple quotes about their 30-30 experience. My dependency on the outside is growing. At this point, I'm looking for anything to get my outdoor fix. Now, remember, these are these students who've come up with the computers and the, the, everything in their fingertips the whole time. It's so much easier to stay inside and watch Netflix than it is to go outside and walk. These are some comments. Nothing like spending the afternoon in a hammock. Reading outside made me feel relaxed and refreshed. I love this one. All I did was sit outside and feel the breeze on my skin. Wow. And one more. God speaks to me most when I'm in nature. A simple assignment. 30 minutes for 30 days. Maybe you want to take on something like that. In fact, uh, I try and do this assignment myself. Whenever I'm feeling like I'm getting sluggish and I've been inside too much, I take on a 30-30. I'm on day 25 today, and 24 of the last 25 days, I've been outside for at least a half hour. Most of those morph into 45 minutes or an hour walk. I've jogged a little bit. I've played some disc golf. I've just sat outside and let the sun just hit my face. Think about that. What a great challenge to take on. It's so simple. No matter where you're at, you can go outside and do something for 30 minutes. 
So that might be a good one for you to think about. Oh, and I did have one little note. Uh, if you are living up in this area, you might get to do your first walk tomorrow in the snow if the, if the weather people are right. So think about that. Okay, so here's your chance. There's a couple lines there. Jot down a few ideas to get you started on how you might want to improve physically this coming year. Come on. There's something going through your head. What do you want to do? What do you want to take on? What is it you want to accomplish? Just jot down a couple things about diet, exercise. Maybe just write 30-30. You want to try something like that? Such a great goal. Thirdly, Jesus grew in favor with God. Jesus grew spiritually. This is a big one. Like, I get this one. We're to continue to grow in our relationship with God the Father. You know, I read the first part of, uh, of 1 Timothy 4, 8 earlier, but here's the whole verse. It says this, physical training is good. So I told you that part. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. So it is okay to train our bodies physically, but that's not the most important. The most important is that we train ourselves in a spiritual nature. Train to work, to make sure we have effort going towards this. Our physical fitness is sort of for the here and now, and maybe extends our life to be able to tell others about Jesus. But growing with God benefits us and others now, as well as all the way into eternity, our relationship with God. So how do you do this? Thank you for making this effort to show up for church, but that's not quite enough. Joining a community group, right? Better, but, but not quite enough as, yet. We need to be feeding ourselves through Bible study, through prayer and meditation, feeding ourselves, training ourselves. We can't rely on others to do all of that for us. We need to be training ourselves to grow spiritually. I want to read to you from a July 2015 article that was in Christianity Today by a guy named Ed Stetzer. It says this, When was the last time you read a book? For almost one in four of us, it was more than a year ago, according to Pew Research. That's three times the number who didn't read a book in 1978. So we're reading less and less. In America, we have a literacy problem. But more concerning to me, we have a biblical literacy problem. America's, Americans, including churchgoers, aren't reading much of any book, including the good book. And then he shares what he calls the sad statistics. Christians claim to believe the Bible is God's word. We claim that it's God's divinely inspired, inerrant message to us. Yet despite this, we aren't reading it. A recent Lifeway research study found only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. He says that's essentially the same number who say they read it every day. So we have this spectrum of people that read it every day and many, many, many that don't read it at all. Because we don't read God's word, it follows we don't know it. To understand the effects, we, we can look uh, to statistics of another Western country, the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom Bible Society surveyed British children and found many could not identify common Bible stories. When given a list of stories, almost one in three didn't choose the nativity as part of the Bible. And over half, 59%, didn't know that Jonah, being swallowed by a great fish, was in the Bible. 
Now, this is my favorite part. Listen to this. this is, we're going to make a little fun. I hope nobody here is from the UK today. Um, British parents didn't do much better. Around 30% of parents don't know Adam and Eve, 30%, Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, or the Good Samaritan are in the Bible. To make matters worse, 27% think Superman is or might be a biblical story. More than one in three believes the same about Harry Potter. Well, I get that. He's kind of British anyway, isn't he? And more than half, 54% believe the Hunger Games is or might be a story from the Bible. No, say it isn't so. I hope that we would do better than that. If given a Bible quiz, that we would know what is or is not at least a part of this book that we claim to love and want to know more about. But it's more than simply not knowing stories from Scripture. Our lack of biblical literacy has led to a lack of biblical doctrine of living it out then. Lifeway research found that while 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place, 45% believe there are many ways to get there, Hmm. including one in five evangelical Christians. More than half of evangelicals, 59%, believe the Holy Spirit is a force. I know, we all went and saw the, the Star Wars movies, but we've got to get the difference here. Uh, 59% believe the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being, which is in contrast to the orthodox biblical teaching of the Trinity being three persons in one God. The writer says, as a whole, Americans, including many Christians, hold unbiblical views on hell, sin, salvation, Jesus, humanity, and the Bible himself, itself. And he concludes with this. There is little excuse for anyone living in Western civilization, particularly Christians, to not know or read the Bible. Nine out of ten American homes have at least one Bible. The average American, Christian or not, owns at least three Bibles. And technology, he says, as we know, has put the Bible at our fingertips. You can get your phone out, jump onto your Bible app, and anywhere you go, it's available to you. In contrast, most Christians desire to become more mature followers of Christ. Lifeway Research found 90% of churchgoers desire to please and honor Jesus in all they do. Amen. Almost 60% agree with this statement. Throughout the day, I find myself thinking about biblical truths. He says, it's striking that while most of us desire to please Jesus, uh, few of us take the time to check the Bible to find out if we're actually doing it. Clearly, there's a disconnect. Those are really powerful words. There's a disconnect from what we say we believe and what we do. And so we're not growing spiritually like we should. And I won't take time to go into statistics about Christians in prayer, but trust me, they're not much better than the ones about reading. Even Jesus understood the importance of spending time with God daily, didn't he? He understood this regularly. In the beginning of the book of Mark, Jesus is training new disciples He's casting out evil spirits. He's running around like crazy. He is healing people. He is such an attraction that in uh, chapter 1, verse 33, it says this. 
The whole town gathered at the door to watch. Jesus is now this attraction. People have followed him, and he's been healing and doing these things. So people are, are flocking to him. They're, they're around his door. He can hardly even move through the crowds. And, and we think we're busy. We think we get distracted. But Jesus knew. He knew where his power came from, where his strength would lie. So check it out in the next verse, how Jesus handled his busy, stressful days. This is Mark 1.35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Before daybreak, Jesus knew, like you and I probably do, once things get going in the day, forget it. If you think, I'm going to get up and get started, and then later on I'll catch a little time with God, a lot of times that just does not happen because the days are so busy. So even Jesus said, I know it's going to get crazy. I'd better do this early. And I picture him just walking off out by himself, finding a big rock to sit on, and just having this conversation with Father God. Wow, if that was that important to Jesus, who was God, shouldn't it be really high on our list of things to do? Now, there is good news coming from that Christianity Today article. If you are looking to improve your time in the Bible and prayer this year, check it out. The article said this, small groups are key to combating and changing the epidemic of biblical illiteracy. Our research shows that as Christians increase their participation in small groups, their Bible engagement scores go up. Nice. Nice. I love that. And our church not only offers many, many community groups, which you can check out at the table out there, that you can join, but it also provides us with a daily reading plan. We've got our university classes coming up, and there's so many other opportunities right here to be able to grow spiritually. So here's your challenge. What is it that you want to do this year? This year to improve your relationship with God. What is it you've been thinking about? Is it time to join that community group that you've been putting off for a while? How about just making a plan to spend that early part of the day a few moments with God? Maybe you just need to to figure out how to be more regular in prayer, to pray at all times. What is it that you want to do to grow spiritually this year? Please just take a minute on those lines. Jot down a couple ideas. You don't have to commit to anything. This is just brainstorming. All you're doing is thinking, I know that I've been slacking. I know I haven't done this. I know I want to grow in this area with God. What is it you want to do to be able to grow in this area? And fourth and finally, it says Jesus grew in favor with all the people. Jesus grew socially. Jesus grew socially. Now, why is this one here? I get the Bible one. Isn't it enough to stimulate our minds, improve our bodies, and spend time with God? Obviously, no, it isn't. There's another piece that's important here. And so I'm so glad that Jesus growing socially, that Jesus growing with people was part of this verse. We're created to enjoy the company of others. In fact, from the very beginning of Scripture, the beginning of creation, it says it's not good for man to be alone. It is not good for people to be alone. We were created for community. In fact, if you want to really penalize someone, military and prisons, the worst thing you can do is put them in what's called solitary confinement, right? 
It's the worst form of punishment. To take away someone from human contact. In fact, this is such a powerful concept, it can actually kill people. Now, to prove this point, these people aren't going to die, but I do want to read to you about a study done on the BBC, the British Broadcast... I don't know why it's all about the UK today. I don't know where that happened. The British Broadcasting Corporation a few years back, and it was called the Horizon 6. Listen to this little experiment they did. This was called... 48 hours of total isolation. Picture this. The Horizon 6, these were people, six people, were placed into tiny individual concrete rooms with nothing but a lonely bed for furniture. The rooms looked very much like prison cells. Three of the subjects were placed in rooms completely sealed off from any light source. They could not see their hands in front of their faces. Are a few of you getting like a little creepy feeling already? The other three were placed in well-lit rooms, but it came with a catch. They were stuffed into large padded gloves and socks to disrupt their sense of touch. They wore frosted goggles to completely hinder their vision, and their headphones played nothing but white noise to thwart their hearing. (laughs) For 48 hours. As the experiment finally got underway, and they name a few of the people here, but Claire was immediately overwhelmed by the inky blackness of her cell. She anxiously relayed to her observers that her bed sheets were cold and wet and that something should be done immediately to remedy the situation. Intending to remain silent as so as to not to influence any outcomes, her observers acquiesced to her concern and assured her via intercom that she was mistaken. The sheets were not wet, they said. She was just imagining things. This is hours, just hours into her isolation. Quote, I don't think you're taking my concerns about the blankets very seriously, Claire lamented. No one should have to sleep in wet sheets. After a short time, Claire gave up on trying to convince them and climbed into a fetal position on the bed. And later on in the solar article, they say that's where she stayed for 48 hours. She did not move from fetal position till the end of the 48 hours. And then she woke up and said, okay, here I am. (laughs) After just nine hours, the subjects were showing signs of wear. I'm finding this grossly boring, said Barney. Adam echoed Barney's thoughts. It's unbearable. Nine hours. I can feel my brain not wanting to do anything. After 24 hours, the subjects begin to exhibit truly bizarre behavior. They raise their voices in angry complaints to the walls. They wept uncontrollably. Many experienced vivid hallucinations. Almost all the subjects begin to pace their tiny rooms back and forth, their brains working to self-generate some kind of stimulation in order to keep them going. After 40 hours, Adam was in tears. This is close to insanity. The subjects seem to have plummeted in both cognitive and behavioral functioning. Most had begun hearing things and claimed that someone seemed to be in the room. And they wrap it up like this. The BBC's Horizon Experience revealed two natural results of disconnection that illustrate our human need to connect. The first result, cut off from connection, our ability to make sense of the world begins to break down. How powerful is that? Our ability to make sense of the world begins to break down. Cut off from connection, uh, we begin to see things that aren't there to buy in a reality that's wholly skewed. And the second result demonstrated by the Horizon Experiment was that cut off from connection, our ability to cope with reality quickly dissipates. 
In just one day of sensory deprivation and social isolation, each subject was reduced to infantile and even animalistic behaviors. They cried uncontrollably, talked to themselves out loud. They rolled up in fetal positions and huddled on their beds. They yelled at the unsympathetic walls of their room. They even paced their constricted cages like jungle animals waiting for the moment to attack and escape. Wow! 48 hours of isolation. What I love about these kind of experiments, this whole thing was done, and all it does is make clear what we already know from our scriptures. We already know this. The Bible shows us we were created to relate. We cannot disconnect. We cannot isolate. We cannot hide, or we lose perspective on the world. We need to connect socially other. It helps us make sense of our world and it helps us to cope with the realities that are there because there are healthy people around us. Crazy. So what could you possibly do this year to increase your relationship with others? Relationships on social media, not face-to-face, they're okay, but certainly those are not enough connections, correct? So how about joining a community group, as I've suggested earlier? How about a hiking group, a yoga class, a book reading club? ever considered one of those maybe maybe this is the year you've been thinking about that you need to find a mentor or perhaps even offer to be a mentor to someone else or just find a friend that you know you need to have regular coffee dates with so that you can just talk about life and process and make connections about the reality of life how about this one throw a party Okay, okay, wait, not yet. I know, we just finished Christmas. We've had guests around our house for almost two weeks straight. Almost two weeks straight. No parties quite yet. But a few weeks, a month or so, plan a party. Invite over some neighbors. Invite over some friends. Have a dinner. Invite me over. I like to eat. Have a party. Do something that will help with your social connections. So there you go. You got a couple lines on there, right? Write down a few ideas just to get the creative juices flowing on how you need to improve socially this year. Write a couple things down. Is there a club, community group, party, something you need to do? Okay, so now that we're all thoroughly depressed, that we're not good enough to start this year, I do want to encourage you with a thought I just heard recently. So powerful. So after our verse in Luke 2.52, Jesus is going to be baptized. It's about 17, 18 years later. And so he's from 12 now, you know, 30-ish. He's going to be baptized. So listen to Luke. Luke 3, 21 and 22. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. What's so interesting is before this moment, before this baptism, Jesus had not healed anyone he hadn't preached a single sermon that we know about no demon had been cast out by him he had done nothing except spend time with god the father there's nothing that he accomplished that appears he accomplished 
that would make the father proud of Jesus or provide some sort of ecstatic joy. Nothing up to this point. And yet God says, I love you. You're my son. I'm so proud of you. So just like Jesus, we don't need to prove ourselves worthy to be loved by God. Not this year, not any year. We don't need to prove that. God loves us just the way we are. Unsocial, out of shape, and perhaps even unspiritual. But God does allow us the opportunity to grow. To grow and improve our bodies and minds that he's given us so that we might serve him better. So although I've always wished to know more about Jesus' teenage years, this verse, Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. It tells me everything I need to know, not just about teenagers, but about growth itself. It gives me these areas that I need to understand. I need to be growing. We need to be growing in our knowledge in every way that we can. We need to take care of our bodies. We need to grow in our relationship with God and in our relationship with other human beings. And all of this growth in Jesus, this one verse we have that expresses his teenage years, all of this was to prepare him for what was next in his life. God had big plans for Jesus. What about you? Are you preparing your body and your mind for what God might have for you in the year to come? What do you think those plans are that God has for you in 2017? Will you be ready in every way to accept whatever task God has for you in this year to come? I challenge you to take some time with that sheet. Take it home. Look it over. Pick a couple items. If you can, pick one off each, each, each area and think this is the area I need to grow and improve so that I can be ready for whatever God has for me in the year to come. Let me pray. God, what a great way to start our new year. A challenge to grow, to grow in different areas, God. And I pray for each one in here that, that this isn't a... This isn't a New Year's resolution. This is, this is far more powerful, God. This is your scripture encouraging us to make these changes. Lord, for those that need to grow physically, may they begin a walk, a 30-30 experience, time outside. Lord, for those that need to know you more, may they have a plan this year. May they have a plan to read, to pray, to be in fellowship with other believers. God, each one of these areas is so important as we see it in Jesus, and now we see it in our own lives. Help us, God, to make 2017 the best year it can possibly be. In Jesus' name, amen.